Inside, it's comfortable. Inside a house, inside a family, inside a routine. But what if we widen our view beyond the fence across the street? Outside, we find people struggling with loneliness, poverty, families that don't look like ours or without a safe family at all. Jesus didn't call us to live by our neighbors. He called us to love our neighbors. Hey, good morning. Uh, as the kids are leaving this morning, I want to just give a quick word of encouragement to parents out here who you may be sitting there and thinking, man, my relationship with my kid is not what I want it to be. I'm struggling like they're butting heads with me all the time. Of course, we always know it is the kid's fault, not the parent's fault. Uh, but you're sitting there and maybe you're struggling. I actually, my dad is here this morning. I met him on Friday for our annual motorcycle ride that we started a couple years ago. And we had a, an experience trying to get home because his nicer, more expensive, more comfortable motorcycle broke down uh, on our way back here. So we got home at 1.30 Saturday morning. But, but I tell you that to be an encouragement to parents because when I was in high school and I was in middle school, I would not have wanted to meet my dad yearly on a motorcycle ride where it is just the two of us because we were some of those, you know, the kid and the parent who butted heads. I told you last week about the very sarcastic uh, and, and vindictive response I gave to when my dad wouldn't let me drive wherever I wanted to drive like all my friends were getting to do and, and how he disciplined me in the midst of that. And I'm here to tell you that you can be a parent to your kids and still someday get to the point where you can be a friend to your kid. My dad told me when I got older, when you were young, I was not your friend, I was your parent. And now I can honestly say that he is one of my best friends in the world that I do. I look forward to that ride every year in conversations and I get excited to see him. So if you're in that moment of struggle and you're like, we're, we're just never going to get along, that might be true. I'm not gonna lie and say that for everybody it's gonna be great in the future. That might be true, but it also might be that you're, you're raising up a human being that you actually want to hang out with someday when, when you get older, or when they get older, and you get older for that matter. Uh, if you would this morning, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 22 with me, and then if you wanna put your finger into Acts chapter 10, we're gonna hop over there in a little while so you can kinda prepare ahead a little bit on that. And, and Matthew 22, a lot of you are gonna recognize this, and really, as followers of Jesus, we should all recognize this. But I realize that not everyone here and not everybody who's watching online today would call ourselves a follower of Jesus. And so you may not have heard this. And even some of us, those of us who do, uh, we may have heard this and we forgot it or we forgot to live by it in our lives. So I wanna remind us, of what Jesus answers a, a seemingly simple but very profound question when a, um, a teacher in the law comes up and asks him. In Matthew 22, in verse 34, we're gonna start. It says, but when the Pharisees heard, my pages will stop flipping on me. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now remember, in the law of Moses, we think of the 10 commandments. There were like 630 commandments that they're supposed to be following. And so he's asking Jesus, 
which one of these is the biggest deal? Which is the first one on my list that I need to follow? And Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And Jesus doesn't leave it there. He continues on. He says, this is the first and greatest, and a second is equally important. Meaning a second is in, I've got to give these to you in some order. I'm not saying that this one is less important than the first one. I'm not, you could have flopped these the way he says this, because he says it is equally important. Sometimes we read this and we're like, that one's number one, this one's number two. He's like, no, 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 equal importance. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then in in Mark it says, and strength. And a second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the prophets, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So all 630 of these laws that you follow are based on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You want to sum the whole thing up, what it means to follow God, what it means to follow, and Jesus is saying in this, follow me, love God, love your neighbor, end of story, mic drop, Jesus walks up. No, because then their immediate question is, well, who's my neighbor? You know, living out here has been a little bit of an adjustment for Sarah and I, because we've lived, we've owned three different homes, and in those three different homes, there's been a fence, and then on the other side of that fence, there is somebody else's yard, and you walk out the front door, and it's our yard touches the neighbor's yard, and, and we look over, and there's the neighbor's house, and so we've had relationships with neighbors, we've and uh, in Fort Collins, we actually, at one point, neighbors, we didn't talk to a lot, but their dog was sick, and they had to take their dog to the vet, uh, but their child was sleeping. And so they called us up, and I was the one who answered, lucky me, but they called us up, and he asked me, hey, can you come over and just sit in our living room so that our, our young girl can continue to sleep while we go in and probably put our dog down? Like, well, as long as I don't have to tell your daughter why you're gone if she wakes up, then (laughs) yeah, I I can do that. So I did. I went over there, and I sat there, and like, this was until midnight. I was just sitting in their home while their daughter was sleeping, and they were off putting their dog down. And then in in Tulsa, we had some neighbors that, uh, uh, a couple living next door that we started to form this real good relationship with, and uh, they, they did not live the same kind of lifestyle that we live. Uh, they did some things that, honestly, we would look at and we're like, that's a pretty sinful lifestyle. But we were able to have a very good relationship with our neighbors over here. Um, we would trade things back and forth with them. If they needed something that we had, we could get that in their hands and vice versa. And we bought our sh- double stroller from them and they gave us a great deal on it and it was awesome. And, and then in, in Casper, we had the the cul-de-sac where our kids would go out and they would just play in the cul-de-sac and they're playing with other kids. And here, well, we actually, um, two days ago for the first time, could see our neighbor's house from our house. So uh, Mike rolled into the fields and he started cutting the corn and I went, oh, that's how far away that house actually is down there. Because I've run by it and we've driven by it, but this is the first time I've seen the sides of the houses that are nearby us and our, I mean, the church is our closest neighbor where we live right now. So it's been a little bit of an adjustment, but Jesus is not talking, and and you've probably heard this before, 
He's not talking about our neighbor that lives right next door to us. Now, he's not not talking about our neighbor that lives right next door to us. But he goes on, and we're going to look next week at the story that he tells in response to that question of who is my neighbor. Because this morning, I want us to look at, okay, if we're supposed to love our neighbor, what are some of the first steps to loving our neighbor? Because really, we like to, I like to, at least, immediately jump into love my neighbor. That means I take care of my neighbor. That means I do things for my neighbor. That means, you know, this, this, and this. But I think as we look through scripture and we look at the teachings of Jesus, there's a step that comes before that. You know, we like to jump straight into action. But really, I think we need to stop first and really check out our attitudes that we have. Check out our mentality for helping other people. We have a tendency, I have a tendency. I'm, just, I'm not even gonna say we. I have a tendency sometimes that, that when it comes to loving my neighbor and taking care of my neighbor, it's a how can I, who is better at this thing or who has a better life in this area, how can I then help this other person? When we've gone on mission trips, it's a how can we take the many blessings that we have living in the United States and make their life more comparable to my life because obviously my life is great and my life is lined up with what it needs to be and I need to get these other people to line up with my life so that they can also have the life that I have and then they won't need somebody to come along and to help them out anymore. And there's, there's an element of truth in that, of course. We want to bless people with the blessings that we have but I, as we look at how Jesus teaches on things, he so often stops us and he says, hold on, before you do, look in your heart. Find out what is your motivation for doing. Why are you doing this? How are you doing this? And I think the first thing, I actually talked about this a little bit last night at the return um, downtown Vincennes, where I think one of the first things that we need to do, because I can't give you this step one, two, three, now you're ready to go help, but I wanna get, at least give you something is we have to stop and we have to humble ourselves first. You know, we often, we look at people who are in these dire situations and, uh, and we think, man, we've got it so good. Or man, our, you know, our life, we have made so many better choices than this person has. But I think we need to first stop before we can truly help them. We need to stop and we need to humble ourselves first and realize that we are not better than the neighbor that we're getting ready to go love. Because of the decisions we've made, because of the life that we have, it does not make us better than the people that we're getting ready to go help and the people that we are getting ready to love on. In Philippians uh, chapter two, verses three and four, and it'll be on your screen. You can also mark it in your Bibles. We've looked at this uh, several weeks ago. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And I know I fall in trap to it sometimes that I help out my neighbor because I really want it to make our neighborhood better. Like I, again, here, I mean, that would mean going, I guess, helping Mike cut the corn next year so that it would, I don't know. I don't know how that makes my neighborhood better though. But there have been times where I'm like, man, I should really go over and help them clean up the clutter in their front yard with some of the neighbors that we had because that's gonna make the neighborhood look better. Or man, that person, they're getting way behind on their lawn. I should offer to go help. We had, we had a lady uh, who lived at the entrance to our cul-de-sac in, 
in Casper. And I mean, she had these rock garden area that it was beautiful in the winter. And in the summer, it was a giant eyesore because the weeds would be like up to your waist and you'd be driving by and you'd be going, man, we should really get in there and help her clean up those weeds. But in the back of my mind, it's like not so that she can not have weeds, but because that looks really bad for our neighborhood. Now, it didn't help that she also had about 30 cats running out of those weeds whenever you would drive by and they would run over to our house and they would run all over my cars and that kind of stuff drives me crazy. So I'm also thinking, man, we should really help her hunt some cats. Um, I don't think she would have looked at that as loving, loving my neighbor. But so many times that's where we start is how can we help them because we really want this to help us. This is about looking out for their interests. This is about considering them to actually be better than myself. And I'm helping them for them. I'm loving them for them, not for myself. I've gotta knock myself down a little bit. Think in Acts chapter 10, there's a story of Peter and a man named Cornelius, who was a Roman officer that I think captures this mentality so well. Um, in, this, in the history of what was going on at the time, so Peter was a, a good little Jewish boy who followed the law and who did what he was supposed to do. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, he got to walk with his Lord for those three years and just be in the you know, in the presence of the Son of God for three years, and he's kind of becoming a leader in the church and a, a founder of the entire church, the bride of Christ, and he has this vision. And in this vision, he's told, like, so there's this, basically this sheet that comes down from heaven, and on this sheet, there's all these animals that Peter is not supposed to eat because in those days, in the Jewish law, one of the, some of those 630-some laws, you couldn't eat things like pig. You couldn't eat anything that, see, I think it had to chew the cud and have a split hoof in order for you to eat it. Either that or it was you could no, no, that was it. For a second there, I doubted myself. I was like, no, if it had those, you couldn't eat it. No, it was if it had those, you could eat it. So anything that didn't have a split hoof and chew the cud, you couldn't eat it. And so it's got all these animals on this sheet in his vision that don't have both of those traits. And this voice says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't eat those things. That's against, I've never done something like that. Like there were laws in the Jewish, in, in the Old Testament, in the old law, that they couldn't eat the blood of an animal. So if you like a rare steak or a medium rare steak, you would be sinning under the old law. And Peter's sitting there going, I've never done anything like that. And this goes on and it goes on and finally... He gets this response from this voice who we know as God as we've, you know, we can look back and we can read the story. But he gets this instruction from him. He says, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And now we see as we read the story and as we continue on in the story that he wasn't talking about animals. He wasn't talking about eating he was talking about people. Because at the same time that Jews weren't allowed to eat some of these foods, they also weren't allowed to associate with certain people. You know, there were, there were laws that a woman during her menstrual cycle was unclean. 
and had to go outside of the city for those seven days or however long theirs happened to last to go outside the city and nobody could be around them. Nobody can touch them. They were unclean. Women, can you imagine? Some of you are like, that would be fantastic. Can we please bring back that law? There's a man named A.J. Jacobs who wrote a book several years ago called My Year of Living Biblically where he tried as, as well as he could within the laws of our nation to follow every single law in the Old Testament. And one of those laws is that if a woman is on her cycle, you cannot sit in a chair or any place that she has sat because it has now been made unclean. You can't touch her. So he would go into like, into the gas station, he would pay for something and he would ask the attendant behind the counter, can you please put that on the table and then he, or the counter and then he would reach across and he would grab his change because he didn't want to accidentally make contact because he's trying to follow these laws. Well, his wife didn't like the fact that he was doing this for a year and so when she would be during that time of the month, she would go around and sit in every chair in their entire house so that he would just have to sit on the floor for a week. But that was, that was one of the laws that they had. A woman was unclean during this time. It was also a Gentile was an unclean person. Now, the, the term Gentile doesn't mean a whole lot to us. In fact, we would pretty much all be considered the Gentiles in this story because if you're not Jewish, then you're Gentile. And so we kind of read that, and it doesn't, it doesn't hit at home quite as much, but let's you know, rewind in our country 60 years or so. When it was a white person did not share a toilet, did not share a bathroom, did not share a water fountain with a black person because a black person was unclean. And there were families that grew up. You can watch movies, you can read stories, you can have conversations with some people. There were families that very much lived by that mentality, that they are unclean people and we do not go around them. We do not sit with them, we do not associate with them. You can catch their, their blackness disease if you're around them. Like that was the mentality that families would raise each other in and that was the belief that people had. You know, and it can go beyond color. Uh, it's, it's been done with women. It's been done with people who have disabilities. It's just, you, we can go on and on with the list of the people that would be considered unclean. So as you read this, maybe you take out Gentile and you put in one of those people instead. You, you, you change it a little bit to make it to where we understand what he's meaning by Gentile in this. And he's told, Peter is told, hey, as a Jew who does not associate with these people because they are unclean people, you don't call unclean what I have made clean, and now I want you to go to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, and I want you to go in there and I want you to tell him about me. I want you to tell him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can imagine like how Peter was a little bit on edge as he walks in here because if anybody sees him, you know, the, the other night on Friday night when our motorcycles broke down, it was in Posey, Missouri, which there is nothing in Posey, Missouri. And it was too far to walk to Centralia. So we went out and we hung out in the bar for two hours because that was the only place around and there was a part in the back of my mind is what if somebody from the church sees me walking into the bar because you know you guys are driving by Posey all the time 
I can't be seen in a place like that. That would have been running through his head. Like, what if people see me walking into this home that I'm not supposed to be in? And then there's just his own guilt inside of him, like, no, I've, I've never done, like, this is not what I'm supposed to do. And he walks in, and the, the first words, well, actually, the first words he gives is Cornelius bows down before him. This Roman officer with all this power bows down before him, and Peter looks at him and says, stand up, because I'm a human being just like you. So immediately we start to see this change that's already occurring in Peter that this Gentile who was a dirty dog is all of a sudden like, no, you and I, we're on equal footing. I am not better than you. And I need you to understand that I don't think that I am. But then Peter goes on and he says, you know it's against our law for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. And can you imagine walking into somebody's home and the first thing you say saying, so I just want you to know, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, you are not a person that I'm supposed to associate with. Our people have thought your people are the worst people for our entire lives. That is a conversation starter if ever there was one. But he says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. And as we're considering this idea of how to neighbor, how to love our neighbor as ourself, we have to remind ourselves that we are not better than our neighbor. We are not elevated above our neighbor. We might have some, some more convenient circumstances in our lives. Truth be told, we might smell better than our neighbor, but that doesn't make us better than our neighbor. You know, as you've heard me rant on this a little bit, and I don't want to always rant on it, but, but you've heard me talk about how we like to get on Facebook and we like to tear down other people. And like, but they're a politician, but they're a celebrity. You know, it's okay. They put themselves out there. The last I checked, that person was a creation of God and a masterpiece is what Jesus calls them. And we are supposed to treat them as such because we are not above them just because we have better morals, or we have a better standing in our community, or we have more money, or we take a shower more often. That's, I worked with students for a long time, and it is really easy to sit there and think, man, I've got to, I'm a little bit better than you are. Maybe just a little, because I can do that and not, like, die. You know, it's easy to think these things. But the truth is, we aren't. We're not better than he doesn't love someone who doesn't follow him any less than he loves the person who's been following him for their entire life. Is there going to be a different eternity? Yes, but not because of a lack of love and a lack of value coming from the Savior. And we can't go into helping somebody with the mentality of I'm better than you are. I kind of I thought of it this, this week as I was preparing for this. The way I thought of it is we can't go into us thinking that they need us to be their savior. They need us to be their servant. And that's what Jesus calls us to. Repeatedly, he told his followers and he tells us that if you want to be first, well, you need to be last. If you want to be a leader, then you need to be a servant. In Matthew chapter 20, 
He says, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? To serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, he says, the Son of Man did not come to make himself equal to God. Even though the Son of Man was God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be gained, but instead he became like one of us. Our Savior, the one who actually can fill that role and does fill that role, came to serve each and every one of us. He humbled himself to the point that he was born as a baby, doing all the things that babies do, meaning he needed a a person to clean him up when he made his messes in a manger, not in a five-star hospital like, you know, Rob over here runs. Like, he, he didn't, that wasn't what he had. Instead, he humbled himself and became like one of us, And that's what he asks us to do as we go out and we love our neighbor. So I want us to not just jump straight into the, here are all of the things that we need to do to make the people's lives around us better. Now, can we help without loving and still be helpful? Yes, I think we can. Um, I think there are a lot of people who do a lot of good in the world and they don't necessarily love the people that they're helping. They help because there's help that's needed. You know, I, I think I have taken students on mission trips that did not love the people of Puerto Rico or did not love the people of Honduras that they were serving, but they still made a difference, a positive difference in the lives of those people. But the impact becomes completely different when we walk in and we do what our Savior told us to do, when we do what Jesus instructed us to love our neighbor the same way that we love ourselves. because now I'm truly looking for what's going to really help you. And I'm not just looking for what will help me feel better. I'm looking at what's going to make a difference in your life and not just what I'm going to be able to go back and I'm going to be able to tell this story about this great and fantastic and wonderful, awesome thing that I did while I was in Puerto Rico. But I'm going to leave and I'm going to see that person's life has been improved because I have loved my neighbor. Next week, we're going to start talking about what it means to cross the street, you know, because where I came from, I could cross the yard, but here I've got to cross the street and then walk a mile down the road, but that's fine. So we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to cross the street, but first, before we do that, we need to stop and we need to look inside ourselves, and we need to say, what is our motivation behind this? He said, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And the second is not inferior to the first. The second is equal to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our worship team is going to come back up. I'm actually going to ask them to switch things up a little bit. So <laughs> they, a lot of them just gave me a look like, what does that mean? Um, but I want, us to, I want us to re-sing that song that we finished with. Because for us to really humble ourselves 
and to remind ourselves why we're doing this. That this isn't to pat ourselves on the back, this isn't because we are better than the, pers- the, the people that we are helping, that we are not better than the people that we are loving. The only way that we can do that is to remind ourselves who God is. To remind ourselves that it's not just helping others and loving others that he's called us to, but it's also loving him with everything that we have. And those two things go hand in hand. I don't believe that we can love God without loving others. In fact, at one point he says, you can't do that. You can't say that you love me, but hate your brother. If you love me, you will love your neighbor. And if we truly are going to love our neighbor, we have to love him too, because that's what comes out of us. That's what's expressed out of us. So I want us at Monroe City First Church of God to begin this morning by remembering who it is that we are going out and we are representing when we love other people. It's not the greatness of one of you. It's not the greatness of myself or any other leader in the church. It's not the greatness of Monroe City First Church of God. It's not the greatness of Church of God Anderson, Indiana. It's not the greatness of the Capital C Church. It is the greatness of God. And when we begin to recognize the greatness of God that we're walking out out there with, then the humility for ourselves, I believe, will naturally follow. Because when we compare ourselves to him, man, there's no way that we can really walk around thinking that we're better than our neighbor. Because the gap between us and God and the greatness between us and God is so wide that even if we were better than our neighbor, it would be so small in comparison that there would be no point in thinking about it. But we're not. We might have made better decisions. Or maybe we were just born into better circumstances. You know, I I talk to students a lot that you didn't choose to be born in the United States of America and to have the blessings that you have in the United States of America. Because I would hear the comment that, well, you know, it's, it's not my fault that I'm over here and it's, it's, you know, they just need to make better decisions over there. Like, why can't they just eat? It's like, they didn't choose to be born in a country where they didn't have food. There are people who, you know, they're making decisions right now that we're looking at. And we're like, how can you make that decision? Well, They didn't choose their parents and their influences in their life to some level. I've had a lot of students who would come in and they, you know, I would talk about Grace and they would ask me who she is. They didn't choose to grow up in a home that doesn't care about God. That doesn't make me better because I grew up in a home that talked about him all the time. Instead, that increases my responsibility to love my neighbor. There are choices that people make that lead them down the path that they make, absolutely. But there are also a lot of things in people's lives that are out of their control. And we have to stop and recognize that 
as we love our neighbor. And we can do that when we realize we first have to love God and realize just how powerful and awesome he is. So would you guys redo that one? And then um, we'll come up and we'll talk about some things that are coming up and then we'll do that last one.